The Three Little Sontarans Read by Dan Starkey Once, long ago, when the Sontarans and the Rutan host had only been at war for a few centuries, and their conflict was still young, there was a battle in the Clovian Cluster. The Sontarans drove their enemy back through the cluster, but the Rutans made a counterattack and gained the upper hand. Or rather, the upper tentacle, for the Rutans are gelatinous, blobby creatures with tendrils and tentacles instead of hands or arms. The Sontarans were forced to retreat, their fleet in disarray and their battle plan in tatters. The Rutans, too, suffered heavy casualties. What had been a mighty battle across a vast area of space became fragmented. On planets across the cluster, Sontarans and Rutans faced one another in small groups, each side hoping to gain a strategic advantage. On one of these planets, a Sontaran legion fiercely fought a Rutan battalion. They fought in the hills and the valleys, on the plains and in woodland, through deserts and in icy polar regions. The battle lasted for months, until there were just three Sontarans left alive, opposed by a single Rutan. We must establish defensive positions, the first Sontaran said to the others. His name was Marshal Vryk, and he was a veteran of several campaigns against the Rutans. We shall have the strategic advantage if we force the enemy to the offensive. If we split up into separate fighting units, the second Sontaran, Major Kaya, said, we shall stand a better chance of success. The third Sontaran, Commander Stan, agreed with Major Kaya. Out of all three Sontarans, and despite his relatively low rank, Stan had fought in the most battles. He had a deep scar down one side of his face that differentiated him from his otherwise identical comrades. It was an injury he had received off the rim of Landseer in the glorious retreat from Hastegard. Humans had once colonized the planet the three Sontarans now found themselves on, although the humans had long since left. The decaying and abandoned remains of their time here still littered the planet, however, and the Sontarans had made their headquarters in the ruined shell of an old power plant that was built high into the side of a steep valley. The main structure was largely intact, and the walls were strong. From the power plant, the three Sontarans surveyed the landscape in front of them. They knew the surviving Rutan was located on the other side of the valley, and debated the route it might take to get to them. It would have to pass through an area of woodland. We should lay ambushes in the woodland, Vryk decided. Major Kyra and I will wait in hiding for the Rutan pest. He turned to Stan. You may watch our inevitable and total victory from here. There is a good view down into the valley. If Stan was disappointed not to be involved in the ambush, he was disciplined enough not to show it. Instead, he saluted, fist to chest, and said, I look forward to it, sir. As soon as the other two Sontarans had departed to set their trap, Stan set about securing the power plant. His superiors might be confident of victory, but Stan had survived thus far by planning for every eventuality, however unlikely. While the other two set their ambushes in the woods, Stan would make the power plant into a trap of his own, just in case. Marshal Vryk took the forward position in the woods, as befitted his superior rank. He doubted that he would need the help of Major Kyre to destroy the enemy Rutan. He intended to finish the creature off himself, not just to enhance his own reputation, but also for the greater glory of the Santaran Empire. Santa ha! Vryk chanted as he set about creating his ambush. He had decided that surprise was key, 
So, rather than build a strong defensive position, he fashioned a camouflaged area where he could conceal himself and watch for the approaching rutin. Vryk tore down leaves and branches and wove a dense screen of foliage that he positioned between two sturdy trees. He ensured that there was a gap to see through, positioned so as to give him a good view of the woods ahead. When Vryk was satisfied that he could see but not be seen, he settled down behind his screen to wait. As ever, one three-fingered hand was on his impulse blaster. The other never strayed far from the scissor grenade attached to his belt. Vryk did not have to wait long. He soon saw the pale green glow that meant the rutin was approaching. It was a tiny point of light at first, glimpsed through the trees, but it gradually grew brighter and larger as the creature approached. Vryk had only once fought a rutin face to face, or, more fittingly, faced a gelatinous mass, given the rutins have no head as such. As Vryk well knew, the rutin's glow came from the electricity that filled its blobby green body. One touch from a rutin's tentacle packed enough charge to kill. If it got close enough to touch you, that is. Vryk did not intend for the rutin to get anywhere near him. He aimed his blaster through the gap in the screen of foliage and trained it on the approaching green glow. Not long now. He would just let it get a little closer, and then he would discharge the blaster's entire power pack into the hated creature. At that moment, the glow faded and vanished. Vryk frowned. He had been about to fire. Where had the rutin gone? Surely it could not have just disappeared. He lowered his blaster and peered more closely through the gap, looking from side to side and searching for any hint of the telltale green glow. But there was nothing. Vryk's mind raced through the possibilities. The rutin could not have retreated, or he would have seen it. If it had changed direction and started to head away from his ambush, then he should have seen that, too. The only reason he could think of that he was no longer able to see the glow was because it was hidden behind or beneath something. The rutin must be hiding. In that case, Wright decided, he merely had to wait for the enemy to emerge from its cover. It made sense that the rutin was being cautious. It knew there were Sontarans in the area, just as they knew it was here. Wright tried to put his mind into the place of the rutin, to think as it might think. What would it do? What would he do in the same situation, entering unknown and possibly dangerous territory where the enemy might be concealed? In his confidence of victory, Vryk had foolishly overlooked one of the most basic tactics of the Rutans. The Rutans were cold in every sense, coming as they did from an icy world, but they knew the Sontarans were warm-blooded. The Rutan might well have scanned for a heat trace, and, if so, then it knew where Vryk was concealed. But that still did not explain why the glow had disappeared. How could the Rudin have possibly concealed itself? Vryk looked around for inspiration. His deep-set eyes settled on the dense undergrowth that grew close to the ground. Could it be that simple? Had the Rudin ducked down beneath the foliage? Was it even now forcing its way through the undergrowth towards his position? Vryk let out a snarl of rage and reached for his blaster. But he wasn't quick enough. To the side of Vryk, a whole area of vegetation was suddenly uprooted and lit from beneath by an eerie green glow as the rutin burst from its hiding place. Vryk tried to train the blaster on the creature, but a long, pale green tentacle had already snatched the gun from his grip. 
another wrapped suddenly round him. A massive charge of electricity jolted through Vryke's armour and into his body. Smoke poured out from the point where his helmet joined the collar. His body convulsed, then fell lifeless to the ground. Further up the valley, Major Kaya heard the sizzling discharge of power. It was a sound he knew all too well, and he knew what it meant. He paused in his work and took a moment to pay silent tribute to his fallen comrade. But, even in death, Vryke had given Kaya an advantage. Kaya now knew where the Rutan was. Kaya's own plan was more or less the same as Vryke's had been. However, while the Marshal had concealed himself behind a thin screen of vegetation, Kaya's defences were altogether more robust. He had found a small clearing that had been created by several large fallen trees. Whether this was due to some weakness in the trees or the soil, or because of a storm or some other natural event, Kaya neither knew nor cared. It was the trees themselves he was interested in. Using his osmic projector in cutting mode, he sliced through the massive trunks and fashioned crude planks of wood from the trees. These he lifted easily into position, securing them with wedges cut from smaller fallen trees. Before long, Kaya had fashioned a wooden stockade at the edge of the clearing. The disadvantage, he knew, was that the Rutan would see where he was. The advantage, though, was in the strength of his defences. He would let the Rutan reveal itself, and then, as his enemy wasted time, effort and resources assailing the wooden walls, Kaya would launch his counterattack. Kaya had been positioning the planks that formed the last of the walls when he heard Vryke's death. The Rutan was not far away, but Kaya was almost ready. He lowered the final planks into position from inside, so that he was completely enclosed within the stockade. In order to see out, he had left small holes in each wall, and a section of one wall could be swung away from the inside, so that Kaya could emerge to battle the Rutan when he deemed the right moment had arrived. For now, he watched, and he waited. The planet's sun was starting to dip behind the ridge where the old power plant was located. In the fading light, the green glow of the approaching Rutan was even more evident. Kaya watched it grow brighter and closer. Soon, he thought with satisfaction, battle will be joined. He knew there could only be one victor. Kaya would wait until the Rutan was attacking the opposite wall, which he had made deliberately weaker than the others so as to lure the Rutan to it. Then he would sneak out through the small door and circle round to attack the creature from behind. His blaster fire would rip through the inferior Rutan, and its green light would fade as it died. Simple, but effective. Except that in battle, things rarely go exactly as planned. The glow of the Rutan reached the edge of the clearing, and Kaya watched it move fluidly across the ground, half rolling, half flowing, towards the stockade. Kaya could have stepped out from cover then and shot at it, but he knew from experience that it would take several sustained blasts to destroy the Rutan. Also, it would be expecting an attack and be ready to loose one of its deadly tentacles. The moment Kaya stepped out from his cover, he would be dead. No, it was better to wait until he had the advantage of surprise, until the Rutan believed it was in control and close to victory. Kaya watched with eager anticipation as the Rutan approached the stockade. It inspected each of the walls in turn. There was a moment when Kaya thought it might have spotted the door, might try to prise it open. But the creature moved on.
Soon it was back at the opposite wall, having concluded, as Kyre intended it would, that this was the weakest point and therefore the best place at which to make its incursion. Kyre did not look out again to check what the rooting was doing. There was a chance, if only slight, that it could weave a deadly tentacle through one of the peepholes. Instead, Kyre listened. He could hear the bubbling, hissing sound that all Rutans made. He could hear it squelching against the wall. There was something else as well. A grating, rubbing sound he could not identify. No matter. Whatever the Rutan was doing, its demise was fast approaching and inevitable. Confident of victory, Kaya eased open the hidden door. He made his way quietly round the stockade, his blaster fully charged and levelled. When he reached the corner of the wall where the Rutan was working, he waited a moment, then leapt out, ready to blast the creature. But there was nothing there. The Rutan was gone. Kaya turned quickly, afraid it might have heard him coming, but there was no sign of the Rutan behind him or in the woodland nearby. He glanced upwards, checking it had not climbed to the top of the wall. Still nothing. Had Kaya looked down at the ground as well, he might have survived. Instead, he retreated to the safety of his stockade to assess the situation. As soon as he had closed the door, he stopped, silent and still. He could still hear the bubbling, hissing sound of the rootin, as well as the unfamiliar scraping. Cautiously, he risked a look through the hole in the wall. But no, there was still no sign of the rootin outside. In fact, Kaya realized, the sound seemed to be coming not from beyond the wall, but rather from somewhere lower down, as if the Rutan was underneath him. Too late, Kaya realized what the Rutan was doing. It had avoided the obvious strategy of coming through the wall. Instead, it was coming under it. Mud and soil exploded upwards as the whole floor of the stockade buckled and heaved. The walls were lit with a sudden green glow. Kaya managed to fire one bolt from his blaster before his whole body crackled with electricity and power surged through him. A moment later, the stockade walls exploded outwards in a massive electrical discharge. Commander Starn saw the explosion from his position outside the power plant. He had also seen the smaller display of light when Marshal Vrike was killed earlier. His tongue licked out over his thin lips as he considered the situation. He had been prepared for the worst, and here it was. Stan was not worried, though. Either he would be gloriously victorious, or, like his comrades, he would die honorably in battle. Stan lowered his helmet over his head, sealed it in place, then turned and walked into the power plant, where he would fight the Rutan enemy. The Rutan approached the power plant with caution. The thickness of the concrete walls meant that its heat centers picked up nothing useful. It could not even be sure that the last of the Sontarans was inside the building, but it seemed likely. If the Rutan itself was to set a trap, then the derelict power plant was an obvious place. The Rutan surveyed the structure, keeping well back. It was aware that the glow it gave off was a disadvantage, unless it could be masked. So, it made sure to stay behind the trees and undergrowth, circling the building from a distance. There were several entrances. All but one had been completely blocked up, offering no chance of access. But the last was not so secure. A heavy metal door was drawn across it, but the metal at the top of one side was bent and corroded. 
there was enough of a gap for the rutin to tear back more of the metal and create sufficient room to squeeze through. Cautiously, watching for any hint of movement and scanning for any point from which it might be observed, the rutin approached the damaged door. As it got closer, it could see that the metal was shiny and not yet rusted where the door was damaged. This could only mean that the damage was new. Had the Sontaran damaged the door, forcing it into place? Or was there a more sinister reason for it? Was this a trap? The Rutan stopped to consider. Inside the power plant, Commander Starn waited in the shadows, watching the point where he knew the Rutan would have to enter the building. His blaster was fully charged, and he had two scissor grenades, remote-primed and ready. He had heard the distinctive, bubbling, hissing sound of the Rutan as it approached the damaged doorway. Starn had bent and torn the metal himself, making sure the damage would be easily visible from the outside. Now, the sound faded. The Rutan was moving away. But where was it going? The Rutan slithered up the outside of the building. The roof was the one area it had not been able to examine from the safety of the wood. It had a good understanding of how these primitive power plants operated, though, and had deduced that what it needed must be in this section of the roof. Sure enough, the Rutan soon spotted a rectangular opening covered with wire mesh, a ventilation shaft. It calculated, from the angle of the shaft, that this would be ideal. The damaged door was obviously a trap. It was the only visible entry point, so the Rutan had to come in that way. But, while the Sontaran waited for the Rutan inside the damaged door, the creature would sneak into the power plant behind the Sontaran. Congratulating itself on its superior strategy, the Rutan tore its way through the mesh grill and slithered into the shaft beyond. Taking care not to make any noise, the Rutan worked its way down the ventilation shaft. Before long, it could see the light coming from the other end. The floor beneath the shaft's opening was covered in debris, but the Rutan felt no discomfort as it dropped down with a squelching sound. It turned slowly assessing which route to take out of the chamber it now found itself in. Soon, the Rutan thought, it would attack the Sontaran from behind. But it was wrong about that. There was a movement in the shadows, and the third Sontaran stepped out into the light. He held a blaster in one hand, and some sort of remote control device in the other. Prepare to die, Rutan, Commander Stan said. The Rutan was surprised, but not worried. It could withstand a sustained blast from the Sontaran's weapon, and would still have long enough to destroy its enemy. The Sontaran was well within reach of its tentacles. I knew you would guess the damaged entrance was a trap, Stan said. But you were wrong. This is the trap. Your blaster cannot kill me, the Rutan retorted. It drew back a tentacle, ready to strike. The Sontaran gave a throaty laugh. <laughs> I know, he said but I don't need it. Then he raised the device he held in his other hand and pressed the button on it. As well as knowing that the Rutan would guess the doorway was a trap and look for another way in, Stan also knew that there was only one other way into the power plant, the ventilation shaft. The remote signal from Stan's device triggered the prime scissor grenades that he had positioned beneath the opening to the shaft, and they detonated beneath the Rutan, blasting it to pieces. Blobs of green jelly spattered the floor and walls. The remains of the Rutan continued to glow for a few moments, then the light dimmed and died away. 
Commander Stan surveyed the damage with satisfaction. He brushed a few splotches of gelatinous green goo from his uniform, holstered his blaster, then turned and marched away. Victory belonged to the Sontarans at last.